Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you here this first Sunday in December. My name is David Duran, and I am the church planting resident here at Doxa Church, a title that I will have for just a couple more weeks. Some of you may remember that last month, uh, my wife Margot and I and our lead pastor, Randy Golf, uh, we were in Boston for some meetings regarding our move uh, to the Boston area for the planting of King's Cross Church that you've been hearing about for almost three years now. Um, well, uh, I just want to say thank you for everybody who prayed for us uh, during that trip. We could really sense the Lord's peace, his presence uh, while we were up there. Even in the middle of right before we left, I think all my kids got sick. Um, when we were there, um, Randy's son had to have his appendix taken out. Like There were some things that were happening uh, while we were in the ground in Massachusetts, but we could just sense the Lord is with us here. Uh, but real quick, I just want to give you a quick update on where we are with the church plant and our family's move to New England and all of that. So starting in January, we will begin a new residency through a church planting entity called Send Boston. And they will provide additional training, additional funding for Margo and I, and we are really excited about this partnership and what it means for our family and for the planting of King's Cross Church. And in, in my opinion, the best part of all of this is that it's going to be a hybrid residency for the first six months. So what that means is I'll be able to participate in that program in Boston without our family having to move to Massachusetts in January. Our kids are going to be able to finish school here. Uh, in Myrtle Beach, and we'll, we'll ride out the Myrtle Beach winter instead of entering into the middle of a New England winter. And then right as it's starting to warm up in Boston, uh, and it's starting to get unbearable here in Myrtle Beach in June, we will be moving up to Massachusetts. So we are, we're just really excited that we get to spend six more months worshiping with the Doxa family. Um, and at the same time, uh, we're going to be directing even more of our focus and our attention to the people who live along the, the South Shore region of Massachusetts. Uh, this is a tremendous step for the Duran family and for Doxa Church uh, as we press on by the grace of God to plant a church in Plymouth, Massachusetts. So although I will no longer be the church planting resident at Doxa Church, I will always, forever, be a son of Doxa Church. You're not, you're not getting rid of me. You're not getting rid of my family that easy. Thank you, brother. So as, um, just continue to pray for us, please. Continue to pray. We have bathed this thing in prayer. We've seen the Lord answer, and that's kind of our strategy. That's what we're going to continue to do is pray and watch the Lord provide, watch him answer. Uh, for those of you who support us financially, I hope that you will continue to do so. Uh, Metro Boston, depending on the statistics that you look at, uh, some have it as high as, the sec or as high as the second highest cost of living in the United States. And last I saw, uh, it was by some, it was listed as the seventh most expensive place to live in the world. Uh, there's a reason why church planting in New England and Boston, Metro Boston in particular, is so difficult. 
among all the other things with church planting, it's twice as expensive and it literally takes twice, oftentimes, it doesn't have to, but oftentimes it takes twice as long to establish a church. So continue to pray. And if you're supporting us, uh, we hope that you'll do that. We're really starting to see some momentum. I hope you're feeling that too as I share each time I'm up here. Like the Lord is providing some momentum for what's going on. Uh, last thing here, if you're interested in receiving email updates, how you can pray for us, and just with what's going on with the planting of this church, uh, Dale already mentioned the Connect cards. If you want to grab one of those, you put your name and your email address on it, and just write somewhere on it, write newsletter. You've got Doxy Digest. You can write newsletter on there as well. Drop it in the, the box as you leave, and uh, I will make sure that you receive updates that we typically send out monthly. All right, let's go to the Lord together in prayer, and then we will look at our passage. And as I'm praying, as always, I ask that you too, in your spirit, let's go to the Lord together as we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come to you in prayer. It is astounding to think that people like us could have the ear of God Almighty. But you hear us, Lord. You hear us as if we were your children. Because that is exactly what we are. We thank you and praise you for adopting us into your family. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ who lived the sinless life we couldn't, died the criminal's death we deserved, was raised in power on the third day and ascended into heaven where he lives to make intercession for his people. We give you glory, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you offer and you give to all who ask. And while we're gonna ask things of you, more than anything, we delight simply to be with you. You are a refuge for all who run to you. And we pray that in the middle of a busy time of year, we would find our refuge in you. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. We pray that a peace that can only come from you would rest upon your church. May we confidently say and live the truth that the Lord is our helper. We will not fear. Help us to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. While this is a, a season, Lord, where many of us have more food than we can ever eat, we know that there are many around the world who are waking up hungry this morning. Our church learned this week through one of our missionary friends that um, the UN is ending all food supply to a Syrian refugee camp that this individual is connected to. So Lord, we, we ask that you provide for these thousands of families. We pray that you would show your loving and fatherly hand and provide food for these people. Use what seems like a helpless situation to draw people to yourself. Draw them to you, Lord. May they hunger, the way they hunger for food, I pray that you would fill them with yourself and with real food that they need. As we open your word today, Lord, I pray that you would feed us, nourish us on the truth that's found here. Let us leave here today feeling full and satisfied in you. Help us not to be a people who simply practice 
an intellectual Christianity, which in reality is not Christianity at all. Instead, fill us with your spirit. Make us a people of praise who worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when was the last time you found yourself in an awkward conversation? I don't know anyone who particularly enjoys finding themselves in these kinds of conversations. I mean, who really wants to remind that family member who borrowed a hundred bucks last Christmas that they haven't yet paid you back? Maybe you've been in a situation at a restaurant where, where the food that you're served, it isn't really what you've expected. It's a little bit cold. It doesn't quite taste right. And you're thinking, should I bother the waiter with this? It's not his fault to begin with. Or should I just eat it and move on? Well, sometimes awkward conversations can have beautiful endings. The first time that my wife and I met, we were at the, uh, the wall building on the campus of Coastal Carolina University. A campus outreach meeting had just ended, and a mutual friend of ours introduced us to one another. And after the hello, nice to meet you, kind of pleasantries, Margot turned to walk up the stairs to exit uh, the wall building. And as she did that, as she's walking up the stairs, just a couple steps in, she falls flat on her face. (laughs) Now, for those of you who know my wife, you know that she does not get embarrassed very easily. But she was very embarrassed when this happened. I, I wanted to laugh which I knew was not appropriate. I didn't know, should I, should I go help her up? Should I just pretend like I didn't see it? What should I do? I just kind of let her go on her way. I think she turned and waved and kind of ran out. It was, it was awkward. But three and a half years later, we were married. We've all found ourselves in the middle of uncomfortable conversations or uncomfortable situations at times. And these conversations are difficult, challenging, they're awkward, but they can also have a profound impact on our lives. Asking your boss for a raise can can totally change your life. Asking your girlfriend to marry you can forever alter your future. No one really looks forward to an awkward conversation. But as we're going to see in our passage today, sometimes what begins as an awkward conversation in the end can be fresh water for a thirsty soul. Today, as you already know from our scripture reading, we are looking at the famous interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. And we're going to spend two weeks here in this story. We'll look at verses 1 to 30 this week, and we'll finish up through verse 42 next week. Now, our approach to these first 30 verses in John 4 is going to be somewhat similar to a 10-year-old eating chicken wings. Here's what I mean by that. We're going to feast on the wings. We're going to feast on what's before us. But there is going to be some meat left on the bone. But I hope that you're going to leave here with a, a good enough grasp of this passage that you can go back and savor all the little things that we don't hit on. The little things that we don't quite address maybe as much as you would like this morning. 
Well, Jesus' conversation with this woman, it takes place in verses 7 to 26. But in the first six verses, John gives us some vital insight. So Jesus, he has left the region of Judea in the south, and now he is making his way up to the region of Galilee in the north. Now, there's a couple of different routes that Jesus and his disciples could take. They could take the longer route and walk around the despised region of Samaria, or they could walk right through it. And John actually says something very interesting in verse 4. I don't know if you caught that in the scripture reading. John says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, I don't want to major on a minor point here because it's not entirely clear what John means, but I want to point out that John often uses this word translated here as had to in the context of mission. I think there's something more going on here than Jesus and the disciples trying to shave off some time in their travels. There is a divine meeting that needs to happen. A divine meeting between a Jewish rabbi and a despised Samaritan woman. You need to know that the Jews and the Samaritans, they absolutely despise one another. This is not just a friendly little rivalry between two groups of people who would prefer not to be together. No, these people hate one another. The Samaritans were considered a half-caste people by the Jews. See, Israel fell in 722 BC to the Assyrians. And after this, the Assyrians, they resettled the region of Samaria. And some of the Jews and some of the Assyrians, they intermarried. And the Assyrians brought all their idols and their false gods to these marriages. And as a result of this, the worship of Israel became contaminated with idolatry. If you're interested in in looking more at that, you can uh, read 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, verses 24 to 41. It gives you a a bigger picture of what happened there. Now, the Samaritans were so despised, they were so hated that when the Jews wanted to be especially offensive to Jesus, this happens in John chapter 8, they actually called Jesus a Samaritan. I just want you to understand just how countercultural this interaction is between Jesus and the woman at the well. This is not a normal thing from a worldly perspective for someone like Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman. And it's also pretty clear that this woman is an outcast, even among her own people. She's come to the well in the middle of the day, and she is all by herself. A clear sign that she has been rejected by her society. But Jesus is never afraid to break social barriers and social stigmas in pursuit of mission. He's never afraid to do that. At the end of the day, Jesus is not concerned with what other people might think if they see him interacting with this woman. He's much more concerned with fulfilling the mission he's been given. You see, a fear of man and what others might think is an absolutely crippling thing when it comes to living on mission. Just imagine with me for a second the difference that the church would make, that we could make, if we simply followed Jesus when it comes to mission. Instead of viewing people who disagree with us as enemies, what if we looked at them as people to engage with? 
Instead of viewing social outcasts as problems that need to be fixed, what if we viewed them as people who need to be loved? What might the Lord do if we were willing to enter into the awkward conversations as ambassadors of Jesus Christ that we are? Even if you're an introvert like me, and the the idea of doing that sounds terrifying. Friends, we're able to live on mission the way Jesus did, and Christians have been for 2,000 years. Not because we get all hyped up and just go out and do it. This isn't a a just do it kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. No, it happens, it flows from us when we've tasted the living water that Jesus is talking about. Now the arc of this conversation here between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, it's really pretty fascinating. It starts with Jesus wanting something to drink. And the Samaritan woman is shocked by this, of course, based on all that we just mentioned, but it only gets more interesting from here. Jesus goes from asking for a drink to telling the woman that he has living water that he can give her. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now this woman is naturally confused by this offer from a man who doesn't even have a bucket. He doesn't have anything to draw out water. Living water, how could you offer me water? Look how Jesus responds her in verses 13 and 14. I think this right here is the heart of this passage. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In this statement, Jesus is offering this dejected Samaritan woman something so much better than water. He's offering her a brand new life. He's offering her a life connected to the activity of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus is offering her satisfaction. He's offering her fulfillment beyond anything that she can imagine. And Jesus is saying to the woman and to each one of us that a life filled with the Holy Spirit can change our existence and it can change our eternity. Every single one of us, if we're honest, we're seeking some kind of fulfillment in this life. Even if we would say, I'm going to believe that nothing matters and and there is no fulfillment, in looking to that, we're looking for it to somehow make us happy to somehow make us feel better. We're looking for that thing that's gonna give us a sense of peace, that thing that's gonna give us a sense of accomplishment. Many of us are looking for the thing that will simply mask the pain, will mask the hurt and the trauma that we've experienced. And whether you are a professing Christian or someone who really isn't sure about this religion thing, the answer for the longing that all of us feel is living water. It's a life indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's a life lived in relationship with God the Father. And here is perhaps the best news. 
This kind of life is available to all who come to Jesus and receive the living water that he offers. You don't have to go and clean your life up first. The living water that is the Holy Spirit, it will do that for you. Some of you here for the first time in your life, you need to taste the living water that Jesus offers. And you know how you do that? Now you do that. It's really very simple. You ask. Just like a child asking their father or mother for a drink before bed. You ask. Jesus said in Luke 11:33, "If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him?" God the Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, I know that there are other people in here today. You have tasted this living water that Jesus is talking about. You can testify to what Jesus is saying. You know that a life filled with the Spirit and only a life filled with the Holy Spirit is satisfying. You know that that's true. But just like the Israelites in Jeremiah 2, all of us from time to time, we forsake the fountain of living waters And we settle for broken cisterns that can't hold any water. We've looked to other things to fill us. We've looked to sexual fulfillment, whatever that looks like. We've looked to our career or social status. Maybe we've looked to our spouse or to our children thinking they're going to fill us up. They're going to bring that satisfaction. They're going to quench that longing that we have We've run to sin when we feel empty instead of the one who gives us life. We too, we need to ask for the Spirit's power in our lives. We need to ask that God would give us a thirst for himself. Some of you here, you are really, really thirsty and you know it. You're longing for something that can quench that thirst. But what you're trying to do, and I've done it, I'm not saying anything that I haven't done, You're trying to chug hot coffee. You're trying to chug a a gallon of milk, thinking that that is going to do the trick for you. But chug hot coffee and you get burned. Try to chug a gallon of milk and you puke. You need water. Ice cold, satisfying water. You need a life. We need a life marked by the Spirit. And this is provided. This life is is provided by Jesus. We, like the Samaritan woman, we misunderstand what we really need. You see, she's, she's not quite sure, she's not quite understanding what it is that Jesus is offering to her. In verse 15, she says to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She thinks, and this is understandable, they're at a well, right? She thinks that Jesus is talking about actual water. She doesn't see the connection between living water and the Spirit. And remember, she's not alone in this. Nicodemus, we read about in John chapter 3, he also didn't understand the connection Jesus was making between water and the Spirit. But to this woman's request for this living water, Jesus gives a really strange answer. It's an awkward answer. And at first, it really doesn't make any sense. 
Jesus tells her, go and call your husband. And when he does this, Jesus is doing two important things. He's confronting her, but he's also drawing her out at the same time. When the woman says, I have no husband, Jesus says, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Church, but here's the way, here's the thing about the way that Jesus confronts sin. And it's so important for you to understand this. Jesus never confronts sin in order to shame us. He never confronts sin in order to shame us. That's what Satan does. Satan points the finger and says, how could you do that again? Or he whispers in our ear, you are so messed up. Jesus most certainly confronts us in our sin, but he does it in order to point us to something greater. He points us, he draws us to himself. And that is exactly what's going on here in the passage. The problem that many of us have is that we hear the accusations of the enemy and we think that it's Jesus that's shaming us. And instead of running to Jesus, we end up running away from him. But Jesus never shames us, no matter how far we've strayed. You remember how God the Father pursued Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden? Remember how he pursued them? Did he tell them, go pick a switch so I can give you a beating? Is that what he said? Absolutely not. Now, there was a punishment for their sin. There was a consequence for their sin. But God didn't pursue them that way. No, even though he already knew the answer, he asked them, where are you? Where are you? He sought to draw them out, not to drive them away. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. This woman is masking her hurt and her guilt. Apparently, she's running from one man to another. And Jesus, he's drawing her out. He's drawing her out. He's gently exposing even the longing that she has within her own heart. Well, now she's starting to realize this is no ordinary man. He asked for water. Then he offered living water. And now he just described my whole life to me. Something's going on here. He must be some kind of a prophet. So she immediately changes the subject and asks Jesus a complex theological question about worship. Isn't it so much easier to talk about complex theology than to deal with issues of the heart? Isn't it easier to debate about the end times or election or pick your hot button theological topic than to deal with issues of the heart? Now this question about worship that's being asked it is an important question. The discussions that we have about theology, um, those are important discussions. There's important questions that we all have. But I'm afraid that oftentimes what really is going on is we're just using these as masking agents to disguise what's really going on in here. It's actually much harder to wrestle with the question, why am I so angry? then what do I believe about predestination? It's really difficult to struggle with the question, 
Why am I looking to all these other things, whatever that thing is, to to bring me satisfaction instead of Jesus? It's much more difficult to try to answer that than try to figure out what you believe about the end times. It's the issues, friends, the issues of the heart that Jesus is most concerned about. Well, with the subject change to worship, Jesus doesn't shy away. He continues to engage all while driving her to something greater. You see, the Samaritan woman, she's trying to solve a centuries-old problem. The Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim in Samaria, and the Jews worship in Jerusalem. And the woman here, she wants to know, what's the correct place that I need to go in order to worship? This is a very legitimate question. But Jesus, as he often does, he completely reframes the discussion. Jesus is worried about the nature of worship, not necessarily the place of worship. The Samaritans, they, they worshiped God. They tried to as imperfectly, of course, because their knowledge of God was very, very limited. Part of this was because they only recognized the first five books of the Old Testament as authoritative. They had an incomplete picture of who God was. They didn't have the beauty of the Psalms or the wisdom of the prophets to give them a fuller picture of who this God is that they desire to worship. They don't really know who it is that they're worshiping. But really, that's only half the problem. It's a big problem, but it's only half the problem. Jesus says that God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's crucial, it's critical that we understand who it is that we worship. We're all prone to create God in our own image and then worship whatever that thing is. We need the Bible to tell us who God really is. But it's equally important for us to understand that genuine worship, it is spiritual. Again, it's about the condition of our heart. I have no problem with anyone who wants to raise their hands in worship or shout amen or hallelujah or whatever it is you want to say. I think we could actually use a little bit more of that around here, if I'm honest. But that doesn't add to the authenticity of our worship. You see what I'm saying? following along with me there, only a heart that is filled and captivated by the Spirit is able to worship in spirit and in truth. And God is seeking such people to worship him. Not because he's some sort of egomaniac. It's not why he's doing it. No, he's seeking such people because he wants to satisfy their longing. He wants to satisfy the longing for worship that we all have. We were created for worship. We all worship. But misplaced worship only leads to despair. A heart that drinks of the living water offered by Jesus overflows in worship. It's just what happens. And in doing so, it's a heart that is fulfilled. My hope for every person in this room is that you will experience what I am describing. You'll experience what Jesus is describing and what all of scripture describes. I want so badly for you to taste the living water. Jesus ends this awkward but beautiful conversation by disclosing who he is. Look at me at verses 25 and 26. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, the woman finally gets the answer to the question that she asked back in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Jesus says, I am. This is the clearest example, I think in all of the Gospels, the clearest example of Jesus declaring that he is the Messiah. And in saying this, he's inviting the woman to come. He's inviting her to come and receive him, to drink of the living water that is the Spirit, to find satisfaction for her soul. Isn't the mercy of our Lord remarkable? Isn't his mercy remarkable? He doesn't run away from this sinful woman as she approaches him at the well. He doesn't turn his back to her. He doesn't shun her or ignore her. Instead, he offers her the greatest gift that she could ever receive. Brothers and sisters, we, as followers of Jesus, we must point people to the same gift. We lovingly plead with them, put their faith and their trust in Jesus. We show them, we tell them about the satisfying living water that is the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. Living water, it does not stay stagnant. It's not like a, a nasty, nasty pond water that's just there and it smells and it's disgusting. That's not what living water is. It becomes a spring in us that bubbles and overflows. Today, I want to invite you and encourage you to engage in awkward conversations. The first one that you might need to have is with the God the Father. You just need to ask him. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And if you have no idea how to do that, if that sounds crazy and weird and strange and way beyond your comfort zone, in just a few minutes, there's going to be someone at the back there, kind of where that chair is in the prayer area. You can go and ask them to pray with you. And that may seem awkward, but it'll actually, I think you'll find a lot of help in doing that. I know they would be overjoyed to pray with you. Pray with you that you would receive and taste the living water. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you're not sensing the Spirit's presence in your life. You can pray on your own, or you too, go to the back there and have somebody pray with you. Church, I believe that as we're filled by the Spirit, that we're drinking the living water, and being led by the Spirit, as it's bubbling up and overflowing into our lives, we're going to be led into having those kind of awkward conversations with other people. The same way that Jesus did with the woman at the well. I believe the Lord is going to do that. I'm praying that he will do that here in this body. As we take communion today, let's remember what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Let's remember he's coming back for us. As we take the bread and the juice, church, let's ask. Let's ask our triune God to fill us individually and to fill our church with the living waters of his spirit. Let's ask him to do that. 
I hope you will pray for that. I hope that's a daily prayer that you have. Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Fill our church with your spirit. Communion is open to all professing followers of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, thank you. Thank you for being here. I hope that you've heard things today that have intrigued you. Maybe you have some questions about Christianity and what the Bible teaches. I hope you'll hang around for a few minutes after the service and interact with us. I would love to talk with you if you have any questions. But at this point, I want to ask that you would refrain from coming forward and taking part in this part of the service. Just, ha- just hang back at this point. So just a second, the band's going to come up. They're going to play. And as you feel led, you can come up, receive the elements, and make your way back to your seat. And then Dale is going to come forward and lead us together as we take the body and the blood. Now let's pray, and then we'll continue in our worship. Father, I pray that you would bring satisfaction to our weary souls. May we drink deeply of the living water that is your spirit. Help us to be authentic worshipers of you, people who worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the kindness and mercy of our Savior, who never seeks to shame us, but invites us to himself. We pray that you, Lord, would be our joy and our satisfaction in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.